Once more, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. All of you in the cafe, uh, love you guys so much. Appreciate the way you sacrifice and serve and, uh, and, and make worship on Sunday morning so important. Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Let's take a look at a story of a woman that tends to be forgotten. Her name is Hagar. In the Old Testament, as you probably know, the, the name of God, the, the names of God are, are, are very, very important. Uh, you remember at the point where Moses asked for God's name at the burning bush, and, and God reveals a, a name that, that's sort of not a name. It's, 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 it's not really a name at all. It's more of a, a form of a verb, the verb to be. Uh, I am that I am, we sometimes translate it, but it's, it's considered untranslatable. So when God gives us a name, it's still a name that is beyond us, a, a name that for the ancient Jews was considered too holy to form in one of our unclean mouths. So therefore, it was untranslatable and unpronounceable to them. God's name was just too holy for, for words. So that's why in the Old Testament, we, the naming of God becomes very, very significant. Now, in the ancient world, naming itself was, was important. Uh, to name something, to name someone means to take dominion over. So in the Garden of Eden, God allowed Adam to do what? To name all of the creatures, and because he named them, then therefore he had a dominion. He had authority over all of creation. This is what uh, God did for Adam, that the place that he, that, that he put human beings in, in, in creation. And that same naming extends to children. We name our children, and when we name them, we have their name. Therefore, we have control, authority over. So that's why in Scripture, God is always sort of withholding his name. For us to have his name means that we have some sort of grasp of him, some sort of, of connection. And, and uh, to think that we as small uh, mortal human beings could have that sort of relationship with God is, is, is something of an amazing thought. So. So in the Old Testament, there's not just one name. There become many, many names that God reveals for himself. God reveals himself to us because we can't think his thoughts. We can't get to him apart from his coming to us. So there are names like uh, uh, El Shaddai, for example, the Lord Almighty. These are names that he reveals of, of himself. Uh, you've probably heard all the uh, Jehovah Jireh, you know, God my provider, or Jehovah Rapha, the, the God who heals. All of those names in the Old Testament are ways that God reveals himself. There's only one name in all of Scripture that one of us have given him. And there's only one person in all of Scripture, in all the Old Testament, that is allowed to call God by a, a new name. That new name is Elroy. Uh, Elroy. Say it's Hebrew. Elroy. It's on the front of your worship folder if you're in this room. Elroy. Say that. Elroy. Elroy. It's Hebrew. It means the God who sees. It's the only name in the Old Testament that is given to God by a person. And that's rather startling when you think about everything that the Old Testament attaches to the naming of someone. Somebody names God this, and of all things, she names him the God who sees me. Her name was Hagar. And of all the people in all of Scripture to call God the God who sees... She's just almost an invisible woman. Nobody sees her. Now, as we find her in the Scripture, I'll just sort of walk through Genesis with me. Turn back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. 
Hagar is sort of lost in the story of Abraham, the father of our faith. And Abraham is a great man of faith, always praised because of his faith. But understand, Scripture doesn't elevate him in any other way. He is not a morally superior person. He's not a morally perfect person by any stretch. And there's nowhere that you see the flaws in Abraham and his wife Sarah more than when it comes to the way they mistreated uh, the, the woman Hagar. So go back. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 is when God first gives that amazing promise to Abraham when he says, look out at the stars. And if you can count the stars, that's how many descendants you will have. I'm going to bless you with sons and, and, and grandsons. You'll be the father of a great nation. That's in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. So the promise is, of course, that Abraham and Sarah are, are going to have a baby. Now, what's the problem with that? They're old and, and apparently infertile. You understand? They've been wanting a child for, for years and years and years and years, and, and they've done lost that love and feeling. You understand? that They're up in age. I mean, Sarah is more likely to have a hot flash today than a baby. I mean, they're way past all of, of that. And, and so this miracle is an amazing miracle. And you would think that God of all people, knowing exactly how old they are, that if God's going to do something like this, he'd get in a hurry about it. I mean, you know, let, let, let Abraham have, have a, a son to hold before he loses that last, you know, tooth in his head. I mean, you know, they're, they're not getting any younger. But even after God gives the promise, God gets in no hurry. His timing is perfect. But Abraham and Sarah begin to lose patience, or maybe more so Sarah. Maybe more so Sarah. So if you look at chapter 16, verse 1, Sarah has this great promise from God and this incredible desire to have a child, but, but nothing but these empty arms. And so Sarah begins to investigate alternative reproductive technologies. So what does she do? She does about the only thing that was considered um, permissible in her day, and that was to have a surrogate. And her surrogate was an Egyptian slave woman that she had. Abraham and Sarah had slaves. And, and one of their slaves was an Egyptian girl named Hagar. Hagar didn't ask for any of this. And if you notice, Hagar doesn't have a speaking part in this. And if you notice, they don't even ever call her by name. She's just that girl, that slave woman. They, they don't call her by name. So Hagar is... Um, asked, required to lay with Abraham, and uh, she becomes pregnant. She has a son, and his name is Ishmael. Now, chapter 16 is the first big story with Hagar, and every time we see her, she's running away, because honestly, if you lived her life, you'd try to run away from it too. Once Hagar becomes pregnant and, and once she uh, has her son, Sarah can't stand the sight of her. Remember, this was all Sarah's idea. But, but, but once things are in play, Sarah doesn't like what she's created. Once a slave woman like Hagar has a child to the master, she can no longer be, be put out of the house. She's a part of the household now. She is the mother of an heir. You understand that? So legally, they can't put her out of the house anymore. And also, even though she is their slave, they can't sell her now. So Sarah has created this situation, which now she despises. And so she is so contemptuous and, and so horrible to Hagar that in chapter 16, it's the first time Hagar tries to run away. Her name means to run away. 
So Hagar runs away. And it's in chapter 16 that you have this amazing story of the woman that nobody sees. Nobody calls her by name. And if you notice, this woman doesn't even have a speaking part in the Bible to anybody except God. She really only speaks to God. But it's in this chapter 16 when first she runs away trying to escape her life and the horrible situation of her life. It's at that point that she meets God and she names God and she recognizes that God may be the only one who sees her. And so she names God, Elroy, you are the God who sees me. I have seen the God who sees me. And that God sends her back. She goes back. So turn now to chapter 21, verse 1, where finally, miraculously, hilariously, Abraham and Sarah have a baby. How old is Abraham when Isaac is born? 100. I mean, just, you know, happy birthday, Papa. 100 when Isaac is born. The name Isaac means Laughter, because you, I mean, you just got to laugh about this. I mean, you know, you got to laugh. And so Isaac is born. His name is Laughter. Abraham and Sarah finally receive what God has promised. But, but, but this is where the story turns dark. Chapter 21, verse 8. When Isaac, his name means laughter. So follow this. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion, but Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. What the scripture literally says there in Hebrew is that he was laughing at Isaac. He was laughing at laughter. Understand that? He was laughing at Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders, and he sent her away with her son. And she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. Verse 15, when the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. He's about 14 now. He's about 14. Then she went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away and said, I, I don't want to watch the boy die. And she burst into tears. Verse 17, but God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies here. The name Ishmael means God hears. God has heard the sounds of the boy crying as he lies here. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. What? 
She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink, and God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer, and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. I, I guess she's not the only in, in, invisible girl that, that, that ever lived. Um, this is Crispin Wittina. Uh, she's a girl that lives in Haiti. I, I saw her one day at a place called Ashka. Ashka is uh, an orphanage for special needs kids. Now, they call it an orphanage, but, but honestly, you go there as a child, but Haiti's a difficult place to live for everybody. And therefore, if, if your special needs, um, there's going to be nowhere else to go. So I imagine uh, Crispin could spend her entire life at, at this place. Um, Ashka is is literally in the ruins of an old nightclub that was destroyed in the, in the Haitian earthquake. They never rebuilt it, and so they rented out to Ashka, and, and so uh, it's it's just rubble. And there's it looks like graffiti on the wall. Somebody took spray paint and spray painted in, in, in Creole these words, and again, it just looks like graffiti. But if you look closely at what it says, what somebody has spray painted on the wall there in, in Haitian Creole is Bonzi A Tufeo Bell. God made you beautiful. God made you beautiful. Just the words. Just, just, broke my heart because it's true. But you look at a girl like this who's going to live her whole, whole life in an orphanage and you just wonder, will she ever know how beautiful she is, how beautiful God made her? I can't speak her language. And so the only way I, I knew to be with her was, was to draw. I, I, I'm an artist and, and so I took my pad and um, Long story, I tried to, to communicate, I'm going to draw, you know, if you, if you say it slow and loud with big gestures, they understand English, you know, I'm going to draw you. <laughs> yeah. She was reading her book and uh, she read and I drew her. I just kept thinking about the words, God made you beautiful, God made you beautiful and I just kept thinking, Lord, I'm, when I give her this drawing, I want her to see something. I, I want her to see it and, and know that she's beautiful. Will she ever know how beautiful she is? And I don't know. I don't know if she will ever know. I don't know if anyone will ever know how deep the ocean is in this girl's heart. I, I, I don't know. And I may never see her again. But God sees her. Do you understand that? God sees her. Crispin Wichina, he knows her name. And he will never take his eyes off of her.
He never takes his eyes off of her. Where in the world did Abraham and Sarah get an Egyptian slave girl? Well, duh, Egypt. <laughs> they got her in Egypt. I'm not sure they were ever supposed to be in Egypt. That's sort of debatable in the scripture. Abraham and Sarah were sent to the land that God would show them. A famine came and they fled to Egypt. They stayed in Egypt for a time. It's bad. Everything there was bad. In the end, they're just trying to get Abraham to leave, Abraham and Sarah to go. And so according to the story, Pharaoh, uh, as a parting gift to Abraham, gave him uh, uh, gifts. Um, camels, donkeys, goats, sheep, and some slaves. When you read the scripture, it's, it's pretty plain that in those days, the slaves had no more worth than the donkeys. So Hagar was an Egyptian girl who was sort of kidnapped. Today we would say she was being trafficked, taken into slavery. She lost her freedom. And she was just given, along with donkeys and goats, to a man she'd never met and his wife, Abraham and Sarah. She never had a say in any of this. In the household of Abraham and Sarah, her life didn't necessarily get much easier, and she was sort of taken in more or less as a sexual slave. Do you, do you see this? you see the story for what it is? I, I'm not twisting it or changing it. This is what happened. She's asking for none of this, but, but she becomes the surrogate to, to bear a son to her master, to, to Abraham, and, and, and that is... It's, it's what happens. As, as we've gone over the story already this morning, you, you see that in the end, she has to leave. In the end, once Abraham and Sarah have their baby, once they have Isaac in their arms, suddenly they can't bear the sight of Hagar and Ishmael. This is a situation they created, perhaps by their own impatience, perhaps by their own disobedience. And disobedience always has consequences, but, but nonetheless... By the time we find Hagar in chapter 21, she's been thrown out like garbage. Now, if that weren't difficult enough, it's, it's verse 11 and 12. But look, look at the scripture with me. It's Sarah's idea, so we can blame her. In some ways, Abraham's just passive. It's Abraham just saying, okay, whatever you want, dear. You know, it's just Abraham who at this point is just an absolute weasel, you know, whatever you want. Even though in his heart, he, he doesn't feel good about this. He loves Ishmael. This upset Abraham, verse 11, very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, don't be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. See, this is the part that just makes my head want to explode. Because it looks like God is kind of against her too. Do you understand that there are literally times in your life when it seems like even God is against you? And Hagar is now in that situation. I mean, God has been the only one who sees her. And now it looks like even God says, just throw her out, just throw her out like the garbage, that they kick her to the curb. I mean, if you notice, Abraham, you know, sends her out with a little sack of sandwiches and a jug of water. But, but, and I guess in his own mind, he's telling himself that he's giving her his freedom. I mean, they can't sell her and they can't just kick her out, but, but they can give her her freedom. And it looks like God goes along with it. 
Now, now stop right there. Some of you already are inside this story. You're inside this story because you feel like this. You feel invisible. Nobody's ever seen you either. You were that girl who grew up in a family full of brothers and everybody paid attention to your brothers, but nobody ever saw you. You know? Or maybe you're just the one who grew up in in brothers and sisters. Or maybe you were the only child, but somehow still, nobody ever made you the focus of their attention or affection. Nobody sees you. Nobody knows you. Maybe you feel like Hagar in, in a life where you've never been able to make your own choices. In a life where all you have done is suffer the consequences of other people's craziness, other people's disobedience, other people's impatience, but you somehow always get caught up in that and you suffer for, 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 the, for the sins of others. This is Hagar. And at this moment in the story, it looks like, it looks like everybody's against her and they are. Even God, but he's not. See, this is the thing. There are going to be moments in your life when it seems like even God is against you, but never believe it. God is not against her. God has not abandoned her. God still sees her. Now, in the long run, this is going to be good for Hagar. This is the beginning of her life. This is the gift of her freedom. It doesn't look like that right now at this moment. It looks like death. As she lays that boy Ishmael at the point of death in the shade of that bush, she thinks she's watching the entire promise of her future die. And she says, I can't bear to watch it. But that's not what's happening. Don't you ever believe it. God still sees her. God still knows her. God still has a promise for her future. And God is not going to abandon her. Never. Never. So look at the scripture with me. Seriously, look. Verse 15. When the water was gone. What water? Yeah. Abraham, you know. Gave her a jug of water. He's so generous. You know, thanks for that, Abraham. And it's gone. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. She went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away and said, I don't want to watch the boy die. And she burst into tears. Verse 17. But God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, Hagar. He calls her by name. Again, I remind you, in every, every single passage, when anybody talks about Hagar, she's never called Hagar. She's that girl, that, that slave woman, that woman, that, 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 that slave, my slave, my servant. I mean, they just always call her just something like an object, but nobody ever calls her name. It's like she doesn't even have a name to anybody but God, but God calls her by name. She's not somebody slave to God, you understand? She's God's own daughter. She's not somebody invisible to God. He sees her. He never takes his eyes off of her. He calls her by name Hagar. You know he calls you by name too. You know this, right? You are the object of his attention and affection. He never takes his eyes off you. 
It may seem like other people don't care for you. They just may mistreat you, overlook you, abuse you. But I'm telling you to God, you are a person of infinite worth. He knows your name. He knows the number of the hairs on your head. He has every single day of your life already scheduled out in his book. Do you understand? Of infinite worth to him. He knows your name. And he knows where you are. And he knows how empty you are. And he knows how thirsty you are. And he knows that your son lays under the bush dying. He knows. He knows. And he sees. And because he sees and knows, he's going to help. God will not sit on his hands. God will not just stand by idly and and watch you suffer, watch you perish. God sees and God is going to help. You must never forget and, and never, ever abandon the faith in the God who sees and knows and will help you. Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. That's always good. In Scripture, when somebody says, don't be afraid, that's just always good. Like that helps. Don't be afraid. Now, honestly, in Scripture, it is probably the most repeated commandment. Would you grant that? Of all the commandments in Scripture, fear not, do not be afraid, is probably the most common, most repeated commandment. Which means if you were to boil down God's entire message to humanity, it could probably be summed up in those words, fear not. Don't be afraid. It's what God says to people more often than anything else. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And whenever this commandment is repeated in Scripture, there are always two situations, two conditions that are present at the same time. The first thing is, we have a petrified person. We have someone who is terrified. I mean, if the word is fear not, it's a little late for that. You know, it's a good thing I'm wearing my brown pants. You understand? It is a really serious situation, and someone is assuming that their life is over. And it's at that moment that the angel or the Lord will say, fear not. Fear not. Someone thinks their life is over. Someone's water jug is completely empty. Someone's son lays dying under the bush. You understand? Someone thinks that it's over. Always. When the word fear not comes in Scripture, it's always in the middle of someone's nightmare. Do you see that? That's the first condition. Someone's petrified. Someone thinks it's over. But number two, God's about to do something radically new. At every place in Scripture where the words fear not occur, God is about to do something amazing. Usually for the very person who's standing there at that moment petrified. You understand? They don't see what God sees. They don't know what God knows. If they could see and if they could know, they would not be afraid. If they could see and if they could know, they would recognize that this is the day that mercy rewrites your life. If you could see and if you could know. But in that moment, all you know is fear. And the first words from God's lips are fear not. Hagar has no idea, no idea that this is the day when she's free. This is the day when Abraham and Sarah can no longer do with her what they want to do with her. This is the day when nobody else commands her life but God. This is the day when her future begins. 
This is not the death of her son she has seen. This is the day when God extends a beautiful promise to that boy for his future. Hagar, do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him, comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Okay, verse 19, y'all, look at this, look at this. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. Two more verses, she'd, she'd have fell in it. How could she not see a well full of water? Explain that to me. All this is happening beside a well full of water. And Hagar's going, I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty. Thirsty. Water. Water. And, and, and you know, there's a well. What in the world? A well? How do they hide a well? How did she not see the well? I ask the question seriously. How did she not see the well? She did not have her eyes on God. She's looking at her own empty jug. Absolutely. She thinks that this jug of water that Abraham sent out with her, she thinks that's her source. And it's gone. It's empty. So she thinks she's empty and done for. Her life's over because her jug is empty. The moment she takes her eyes off of her own emptiness, her own empty jug, that's not her source. That may have been what got her where she is, but it's not going to be what God uses to take her from here on. You understand? God has a well full of water for her. So I promise you, at any moment in your life when you are staring at your own empty jug, God has a well full for you. You can lay that jug down now. You can stop trusting in other people. You understand? Abraham has given her his last gift, and he will not be missed. You understand? Hagar has a new master. Hagar has a new provider, and he is the God who sees her. God opens her eyes. She sees a well. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. God is not going to let it end this way for you. It's not the end. It's the beginning of something brand new. Do not be afraid. Up until this very moment, Hagar's life always seemed to be in the hands of other people. People who could take her, people who could buy and sell her like livestock. People who could take her body and do anything they wanted to do with it. She's had no control. It's been as if her life was always in somebody else's hands, but that's never been true. Your life is in God's hands, always God's hands, and not in the hands of others. God writes her story, not Abraham and Sarah. And God rewrites her future. It's not the wilderness that the people left her in. And God is going to rewrite your story also. Your life is in his hands. 
That means you are what he says you are. And you will answer by the name he calls you by. Do you understand? And and you will do what he wants you to do and what he plans for you to do. Your life is in his hands. Hagar was a woman that for a lot of people they may not have even known she had a name. She was that girl. She had a name to God. And of all people and of all things, she had a name for God. God knew her name and she knew God's name. She called him the God who sees me. He is still the God who sees you. Pray with me. Oh God, some of us today are in the wilderness without water. Some of us are caught in a life that feels completely controlled by others who do not love us. Some of us, Lord, have been called every name in the book except the name that you, O oh God, have given us. Today, Lord Jesus, I just ask you to see us and let us see that we are seen. and Let us know that we are known. You know our name. You call us by name, and our lives are in your hands. So help us today to trust, to rest, and to never be afraid. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.